0: Welcome to the WRSU crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. And we are here for the Tuesday edition of the WRC crew, Jake Schmid, Dylan Allen, and we also have Gideon Fox shadowing today. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing great, Jake. I'm just I'm I'm really excited to
1: see some Rutgers basketball later on tonight. See what they can bring to the table. Um, and I'm super pumped after Sunday, the Big Giants W. And we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. But I'm
2: I'm pumped. I'm gonna have to agree with that too. I'm super excited to see what could happen with Rutgers' big first test of their basketball season. And definitely a lot to discuss when it comes to the Giants' playoff push.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack here. But we'll start with the the game today that me and Dylan Allen and myself will be running the pregame show for that at eight o- at uh, nine o'clock rather. It's a nine thirty tip off. I don't know. We're not on in California. It's not a West Coast start. I don't know why it's nine thirty on the East Coast here, but it nevertheless it is. And of course at eight at nine thirty, we'll send it out to Chris Oconis at Brant Wolf, who will have the call for that one. But you know Rutgers hasn't played since last Sunday when they defeated Hofstra seventy to fifty six. They're three and zero on the season, but Dylan, they jumped two spots, a couple spots in the rankings from twenty four to twenty one.
1: Yeah, um, a little surprising since they really didn't play any any big matchups in between that time from Hofstra and and to now. Um, but nevertheless, you know they're ranked uh, twenty one now instead of twenty four, so that's a good sign for Rutgers. And you know I'm expecting them to come out here tonight and. You know they play pretty well. They've had over a week to prepare for this team, um, and they're they're a home court. So I mean I know there's no fans, but whenever you don't have to travel, that's always an advantage. So Rutgers should come out pretty nice tonight, and I hope they can they can kind of just put them away early. So it, there's no context, and and you know we look really good. That's what I'm hoping for.
0: Yeah, the one thing that stands out to me, Dylan, we look at the. Rutgers and Syracuse, we break down this matchup. You know, this is a, a Rutgers team that's led by Ron Harper Jr., of course, 21 points per game. But uh, Steve Peichel told the media on Monday that there will not be, well, Geo Baker's off his boot, but it's unlikely that he'll play. So it's going to be tough, Dylan. You know, this is a 2-3 a zone. It's a very tough zone defense for the Orange that they possess. And Paul Mulcahy, the young sophomore running the point, it's going to be a little bit of a tall task for him to go up against that defensively.
1: Yeah, and, and Syracuse kind of reminds me of Rutgers. They both play similar uh, defenses in terms of you know that's what their teams mostly made up of a, a defensive team that gets turnovers and and, and really just beat you at, at you know makes you beat yourselves almost. You know the the key for Rutgers is they have to they have to get more turnovers than Syracuse does tonight and get more points off those turnovers because that's what that's what that's what Rutgers' success is. Um, you know they're able to get extra rebounds and extra opportunities and you know steals at the top of the key and, and just breakaway layups and dunks and, and such. So yeah, Rutgers has to almost beat Syracuse at its own game tonight if they want to outlast, like you said, that that very difficult uh zone defense that they play. Um and what kind of annoys me is I'm looking on ESPN right now and they're giving they're they're essentially giving Syracuse a sixty percent chance to win this game tonight. Are they really? Yeah. 58 point eight percent for Syracuse, forty-one for Rutgers. So I'm kind of ticked off there because, you know, we're we're twenty-one. They're not even ranked, and we're home, and we're still, you know, only given a forty percent chance to win this game. Uh, I I don't know how I feel about that, but very evenly matched up teams. They both are averaging eighty-four. Like uh, Syracuse is averaging eighty-two points per game. Rutgers is averaging eighty-four. Uh, Rutgers is averaging 64 points allowed and Syracuse is averaging 60. So, you know, the numbers are very similar. The big difference here, though, is that Rutgers is averaging 54% from the field and Syracuse is averaging 45%. So pretty much a 10% difference there, which could be the difference for tonight's game if Rutgers can outshoot Syracuse.
0: Yeah, one of the things also to mention about the orange, they did defeat Brian Niagara and Ryder. Um, but they feature, you know, they feature a very versatile offense. And notably they have Alan Griffin, a transfer that the Scroll Knights know so well when he was at Illinois last season, he had a a double double in his Syracuse debut, 17 points, 13 rebounds, just like another guy had a double double in his Rutgers debut, Cliff Amorier, the star studded freshman, the consensus four star uh, recruit. He's been playing very well, Dylan, and I think that that rotation with Amorie and Johnson has really uh, almost complemented each other. You see Johnson, you know, I think he only has three or four total fouls on the season, or he has less than six or seven, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and he hasn't fouled out yet. Of course, he fouled out twice last season, but Johnson's been a little bit of a more different block leader now. He's got one of the best block percentages in the country, and he's averaging over three blocks a game, too.
1: Yeah, and that's what Rutgers is going to have to do. Specifically, Miles Johnson. He's definitely going to have to limit the fouls on Alan Griffin because he's averaging seventy five percent from the line. Uh, that's that's better than half our. That's better than anyone on our team, including point guards in every position. So, if Miles gets into foul trouble early with Allen trying to guard Alan Griffin, or you know, even for Cliff, whoever's guarding him, if we send him to the line, you know, seventy five percent is pretty good, at least for a forward. I mean, this guy's a forward, so. We can't be giving up easy points like that too early on. We can't be giving them too many free-throw opportunities. And I think that that's the difference of the game as well, Jake. If if Cliff and, and if Miles can play great defense down low and get those blocks that you mentioned on Alan, on guys like Alan Griffin, it's going to be a lot harder for Syracuse to work the paint and the score. As you highlighted, That's their that's their main scorer. So if we're able to shut him down early, it's going to be very tough for Syracuse to bounce back.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, Gideon, I want to ask you a question. I know you've, you've seen the Rutgers Mets basketball team. You've seen how they've played. You look at the Scarlet Knights, and they line up against their former Big East rival, um, Syracuse. It's the 49th time that they've been playing. We talked about it off air that the last time that Rutgers won was 2003 uh, when they defeated them with a 16.6-second shot from Herva Lumiziana, um, who was one of their top guys back then. But this is a different Rutgers team from 2003.
2: Yeah, this is an incredibly different team. You know, everything's different. Rutgers is in a new division, um, and the team is, you know, obviously unrecognizable since then. Um, I think one big thing tonight is going to come down to the paint. I think Rutgers has that one two punch like we talked about at center uh, with Miles Johnson and Cliff Omiori, and and Syracuse is down. They don't have their starting center. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see. What Rutgers will do if they put in their two centers, if they would just stay with one center and switch it up. Uh, maybe they'll give Cliff some early playing time, you know, get him some good experience. So I am really interested to see how Rutgers decides to get to those rebounds and decides to, you know, gets through that zone and breaks that zone. And like we mentioned before, Paul McKay, he's going to have to step up tonight. Geo Baker's not going to play tonight. We don't really know the timetable for his return yet, but Paul's going to have to, you know, make sure he's on those passes. He's going to have to find the open man and you know get lucky in that zone because that two three zone that Syracuse runs is really really tough.
0: Well, Syracuse, look at the comparison. You know, Syracuse to the Scarlet Knights and Syracuse is averaging ten steals per game. That's they're they're very skilled defensively. Three point percentage they're holding opponents to under twenty seven percent from beyond the stripe, the uh, beyond the the beyond the, uh, the, the three point line. Field goal percentage, too. They're holding them to 34%. Rutgers holding their opponents only a little bit better to 37 So Syracuse has that that zone that we've talked about. It, it really seems like it's been working right now. And uh, for the Syracuse Orange, you know, you send them to the foul line. They make a lot of their shots. They're about 75% from the line. Rutgers, not so good, about 55%. percent we have seeing that same issue that's plaguing. Uh, the Scarlet Knights, is that free throw trouble. And we're seeing that even early on, three games into this season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think last year, Geo Baker was shooting high 70s.
0: 79, yeah.
2: Yeah, so Geo Baker was a force from the line. um, And obviously, we don't have him now. Um, So, you know, that means we have to play discipline tonight. We can't take bad fouls. Um, We have to play smart basketball. And like we said before, we're going to have to let, we're going to have to beat Syracuse at their own game. But that means not making mistakes on our part. We've had a lot of time to practice since the opening three games, but we need to stay focused and not get too sloppy or start taking bad fouls because that will be the demise of Rutgers tonight.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the the fouls as well, and Syracuse. This is a you know big matchup for them, especially because after this match, they go to they're at Boston College on December twelfth, and then that's when the ACC starts in January. They've got you know they play Buffalo after BC, but then they have Notre Dame, Wake Forest, UNC, Florida State. Those are Three tough top ACC teams. So this is going to be a big, big time for them to play a ranked Rutgers team um, that Syracuse hasn't really had much experience with. You look at their the team right now, obviously we've mentioned uh, Alan Griffin, how he's, this you know, had 23 points also against Ryder. But another guy that stands out, uh, Joseph Girard, their sophomore um, one of their veterans on the team he's averaging 11.7 points per game he started 33 straight games at Syracuse a guy that Jim head coach Jim Beheim, likes to use in the rotation but aside from that though the the Scarlet Knights seem that like they have the length um, as you mentioned really at a uh, at the four and the five spot
2: yeah absolutely I think with Syracuse too one really notable thing that has been their bread and butter this season has been their three-point shooting um, they shot great against Ryder and we're going to another big test for Rutgers tonight is going to see how they defend that three ball and they could get out far on defense and make sure that Syracuse isn't able to spread the floor and knock down those shots that, that they've done so well this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. We look at, you know, the Syracuse team. They really use a lot of different guys. Uh, Marek, uh, Dology, uh, he's one of their guys. They've been using consistently in the starting line. If they're senior forward, he had 20 points against Bryant, but he's almost like their Pomo but at the forward spot, for the uh, for the senior forward, he's got 5.3 assists averaging, he's leading that, and he's going to be their big dime dropper. It's not really going to come from uh, the point guard from Buddy Bayheimer, Joseph Gerard, it's going to come from uh, from uh, from this guy.
2: Yeah, he's been posting some impressive stats this year, and that's just going to be something that Rutgers is going to have to notice and get in on. And we said, you know, both teams are going to be down, um, some of their starters, like we mentioned, Rutgers won't have Geo Baker. But that's just one of those things that Rutgers needs to have known this. They, they must have been thinking about him during practice this week. Um, you know, Rutgers, like we mentioned, has to play smart basketball and really cue in on those guys that Syracuse has that are going to be a problem tonight. And just like we mentioned, their senior forward will absolutely be a force from all over the floor.
0: Well, the Scarlet Knights haven't really had much success, success in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They're 2-4 lifetime uh, since the Big Ten has been playing ACC opponents uh, in the past six years. And, this is their first home game since 2017 when they played uh, Florida State. Last season, though, they did lose to Pittsburgh in on the road in the Steel City. That was a tough go out uh, for Steve Peichel and the Scarlet Knights. That was also almost the same week as that Michigan State loss as well. Uh, they're looking to get back in the saddle, though, especially against the Syracuse team that historically is one of the most prolific, you know, final four contenders a couple of years in 2016 when they wanted that, ma- that magical run when Villanova beat UNC but they're also one of those teams that is coached by Jim Beheim who's coached there for over 25-30 years. He's played there as well. It's crazy uh, to notice that but The one thing that I'm going to look at, you mentioned Gideon, um, Paul Mulcahy. I'm looking at Montez Mathis to have a big game in this game. He's uh, averaging 15.3 points per game, but the big thing with him is the steals. He's really getting about two steals a game, and he's been crashing the boards too. And He's kind of uh, taking over Caleb McConnell's role as that lockdown defender from the perimeter. He's averaging about four rebounds per game. He had a season high so far, six against Hofstra. And in he, the lowest amount of points he scored this season is 14. So he, Montez Mathis is definitely a guy that's going to have to have a big game for Rutgers to win.
2: And that's part of that next man up mentality that Steve Peichel's been pushing on the team so successfully. Um, last year we saw that really come through. Um, and I think when it comes to next man up, absolutely, Montez Mathis needs to use his speed to get in there. And when we talk about speed, we also have Jacob Young. And Jacob Young is a force on defense. Like uh, He can get anywhere. He's one of the fastest players in the league, if not the country. Oh yeah. That's gonna be another person. I like I like the one two punch with Mathis and Jacob Young. They remind me of each other and I love when they're on the floor together. Yeah, he- Young
1: averages more steals per game at 2.7. So he's actually close to three. And I think like I said earlier, th- that'll be the difference tonight if Jacob Young and Montez Mathis can get those, you know, those steals that lead to easy points, uh and, and just and just make the lead even bigger for Rutgers down the stretch. That's that was that was key for Rutgers all last year. And that's what really set us apart from from really good opponents when we would play at home. We would get a lot of steals and, and just pile onto the lead, and it would just, you know, it would grow over time. And, and that's Rutgers, That's what Rutgers needs to do tonight. And like you both said, Jacob Young and Montez Mathis are going to have to do that. And, you know, they're both averaging 15 points per game. And I don't expect them to go anything short of that tonight. I could see them, I, I could see one of them maybe going a little bit shorter just because. You know that zone defense can be a little difficult to get past, and this is really their first test of the year. Um, but I'm still I still want to talk about a little bit of Ron Harper because he's been averaging 21 points per game, 7.7 rebounds. Uh he's he's been our best offensive piece, you know, this whole year. And many of us predicted that he would be the main guy this year in terms of offensive production and I guess what do you guys expect to see out of him tonight? Do you do you expect him to slow down a little bit with and have some trouble with this zone defense, or do you think he'll he'll go off like he has been these first three games?
0: I, I think he's gonna do what he's gonna do and work the defense. He was just a week ago named to that Wooden Award watch list. He's one of 50 players nationwide to earn that watch list for the top player in the nation. That's a really top prestigious award. And he's on that for a reason. He's really had a fast start. He's already the team's leading scorer and rebounder uh, through the three games, 21 points and then almost eight rebounds, double figures in each of the first three games. Of course, he had that career-high 30 30, uh, points, but he also was five three-pointers against uh, FDU on Black Friday. But the one thing for me that stands out is he's shooting close to 40% from beyond the line. And That's going to be, you know, Syracuse is a really good defending team from beyond the arc. They, as I mentioned, they held opponents over under 27%. So Harper jr. Who's been playing this season. He's been the lights out shooter. Um, We've seen him really. He has nice form from the corner, from the elbow, but he's going to have to really rely on his driving um, in this game. Maybe even a couple more assists. He's shooting about, yeah, about 37, 38% from beyond the arc, but it's going to be tough going up against the Syracuse zone because he's easily going to be trapped on one side or the other, one corner of the other. He's going to have to either pass it out to Mathis or um, Amore or Johnson, or he's going to have to do a one-on-one matchup and penetrate to the rim. I think that we're going to really see Harper Jr.'s like penetration come out in this game.
1: Which, to me, it, it tells me that other guys on this squad, they're going to have to step up in terms of exactly. their three-point per- three shooting performance because, like you said, Jake, if they get— if they get Harper in a double team in a corner stuck somewhere and, you know, there's only four seconds on the shot clock, he's got to pass it out to somebody and they got to hit that three. And Rutgers has been struggling with the three ball all year. And I feel like if if that happens to Rutgers tonight over and over again where, you know, we're constantly getting trapped and we have to find somebody, you know, in the late seconds of the shot clock and, and we're not hitting those threes or even jump shots from far out. I think Rutgers is really going to struggle with this zone if they can't work it inside. But I also do think that they will be able to work it inside. I don't think they'll have... I think they'll be able to push through this zone defense. I think with Cliff and Miles Johnson down there, I think it'll be very hard for Syracuse to almost keep up the zone and, and you know, it, like a force of habit for someone to go over and double-team and, and leave someone open in that zone. Um, I think Rutgers will be able to get past that zone problem because, let's be honest... I get, I get it, Jake. That this zone defense is good and all, but I, we've played better opponents that have played better defense than Syracuse. I would think, right? Over like, yeah, like Illinois last year, they averaged like 55 points against last year, and we put up 78 or whatever it was at home. So I feel like we've played great defenses in in years past, especially last year, and we've been able to get past that and really put up some good points and and get good production from Miles Johnson. And you know, hopefully Cliff can add on to that.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a, a feat to look forward to. I, I think you're right. I think that, look, we faced, like, Iowa defenses before. Luka Garza is a, a force at the at the defense. Illinois with DeSumo. Um, uh, it's a very uh, – it's a really tough go at it against the fighting Illini. They did – yeah, you're right. They did put up over 70 points at home in that game. But, you know, Syracuse, this is ACC basketball. It, I think from one hand, yeah, you're right. So Rutgers, they're going to look forward to this game. They're going to look forward to produce uh, – Offensively, I wonder if Peikle's going to put in, you know, Dean Reber or Mamadou Ducori. I would think maybe not even till later, but I think that one freshman that's going to get some big minutes, and this will be a good test for him, is uh, Mawat Mag. Uh, he's been playing very well in that first rotation right off the bench. He's the first rotation uh, alongside Amorier, who's been starting or not starting rather, getting minutes on that first couple rotations for Paykel. Um He's averaging almost four rebounds per game. In this uh, season, he's not really showing his three point threat yet. He's only o of one, only took one shot on the season. But against Hofstra, he was three of four from the free throw line after going o of two against FDU. So he's definitely a guy that they can send to the line as well. And he's a guy that can really help you out um, on the rebounding end. He had five rebounds against FDU, and then four the preceding game against uh, Sacred Heart. And he's played o- o- over fifteen minutes. Uh, a game so he's really the guy that I'm looking to off the bench to make a uh, an impact because Syracuse doesn't really know what they're getting out of Mowat Mag. You look at his stat line he's averaging 4.3 points per game but he he's had two six and five through the respectively through the first three games but he's more of a defensive guy uh, so his presence definitely is going to be felt uh, for the Scarlet Knights and I think he's somebody that Syracuse is going to be sleeping on too to scout.
1: Yeah, and guys like Oscar Palmquist, I, I I I would like to see tonight, you know, because of his three point shooting ability, and you know that's mainly what he's that's mainly what he's good at. And like I said before, if we need guys to hit that three pointer when the shot clock's going down, that that might be the guy to go to. Um, so another guy I'd like to see off the bench tonight, and, and maybe we should because of this zone. If we can't get it inside and we have to resort to more outside shooting. I would expect to see Oscar Palmquist get in there a little bit
2: more, too. I absolutely agree with the with seeing Palmquist off the bench. I think, you know, just like we mentioned, when it comes to three-point shooting, he's, you know, that's what he did before he came to college. His his tape from high school is just him knocking down three-pointer after three-pointer after three-pointer. Um, and we know we obviously don't have a Kwasi Eboa, who handled a lot of that responsibility last year. And we know Rucker, Rucker struggles from beyond the three-point arc. So I think having a young guy come in, Maybe we could give him the confidence tonight if he does well, have him play a really good opponent in Syracuse, and hopefully he makes some shots and he can really start building up that confidence that it takes to play at such a high collegiate level.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the things that we haven't really seen from Palmquist, um this season. He only played three minutes against FDU. Before, uh, he played eight minutes against Sacred Heart, and in that Sacred Heart game, he was all of one uh, from the floor. He's only made one three-pointer uh, in three games, but – it's also because I guess Peichel's trying to ease him in too. He's only he only he has two turnovers, one steal on the season, three total points, which came only in his uh, his only points came against their last win against the Hofstra Pride. Uh, one assist, three fouls as well. He's not a guy that gets fouled often, but um, you know Oscar Palmquist is going to be a guy that's going to look to improve on the season. He's a guy that they've had came in uh, last season last spring semester um, and you know took a red shirt, but really practiced with the team was able to see how the Scarlet Knights play Big Ten basketball coming over from Kinna, Sweden. and I think that's going to benefit him. I think that Pikel knows it's they, he doesn't really want to play Pomquist yet because I think this could be a game where you could see more Pomquist like minutes like MAG where you see 12-13 minutes and I think that's going to be something to look for tonight.
1: Yeah, and like you said, um, I'm really encouraged to see how Cliff works in this offense tonight. If they if they have trouble with this zone defense, because because I don't really know, we really haven't seen anything else than dunks. Yeah, <laughs> the first three games. So uh, if he if he can't get anything going down low, I, I'm I'm interested to see if he has a jump shot that I'm not aware of, or any other kind of game that he'll decide to showcase tonight that separates him from the Miles Johnson that we know that gets the rebounds puts you know dunks it home and and puts up the easy layups you know I'm interested to see how he can separate himself from what we've seen from Miles Johnson because that's what all this hype is about Cliff everyone's saying you know he's he's basically like Miles Johnson except add an offensive uh, offensive game to him as well that's you know that that's a pretty good force of an offense so you know, I'm intrigued to see how he gets involved more because he's only taken 12 shots in three games. I mean, that's, you know, four shots a game. And, you know, from what I've been hearing from the from from Cliff offensively, I would think I'd want to see more from him. I know he's a freshman and Paykel probably wants to ease him into it, but, you know, the first game he started. Yeah. And I believe he started all three games so far. He now. Has. So... For him to only take four shots, it that tells me there's a lot of guard play this year, and I think you're going to see a lot more guard play tonight, especially early on or n- n- actually later on if they can't work it inside because they're going to try and get that first, and if the zone defense from Syracuse, it isn't budging and they can't really work anything inside, then you're going to see guys like Jacob Young and Montez Mathis and, and Ron Harper you know, start really taking a lot of three-pointers tonight. I, I feel like that's what's going to happen if they can't work it in.
0: Before we wrap up this segment for Rutgers basketball, we switch over to the other stuff. I mean, guys, I want to get your take, your takes on this. What's the really the one player tonight that has to stand out and play well against Syracuse, and what's a trend you th- expect to see and a score prediction too? Well, for me, honestly, I expect Ron. I expect to see the Ron Harper we've
1: been seeing all year. That uh, doesn't mean thirty points, but you know, I'm expecting somewhere in the realm of twenty whether that's 18, 22, whatever the case may be. I'm expecting that. And I'll expect 15 from from Jacob Young, either him or Montez, and the other guy will have 10 or something like that. But I think the difference of this game, Jake, it's got to be Miles Johnson and the fouls. If he can limit the fouls tonight against guys like Allen, um, what's his name, Allen from, from Syracuse, who shoots 75% from the line, if they can limit Alan Griffin, yeah. Alan Griffin, yeah. If they can limit that, specifically Miles Johnson who, or whoever's guarding him, I think that's the difference. You limit the amount of free throws that you give Syracuse, and, and Miles Johnson has to be able to get some kind of offensive performance tonight
2: down low in order to beat this zone defense. And I think my X factor for tonight is going to be Paul Mulcahy. He hasn't done too much scoring, he had 15 points at the season opener. But he's been playing over 30 minutes every game. And I think that is when we're really going to see it tonight. Because as we know, Gio Baker is in his final year. And Paul Mulcahy is our point guard of the future. And tonight, he took over very well last year when Gio was out for two games with his thumb injury. But tonight, we're going to see Paul Mulcahy make those passes. And I, I expect him not to do to not score as much you know, as he has the past two games. And just focus on those passes and give it the ball to those guys that we mentioned, like Jacob Young, Amantes Mathis, who could really get in through that zone or give it to any of the two centers who could really battle it into the paint and get those easy buckets.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at Paul Mulcahy too, Gideon. I think Paul Mulcahy is going to be the X factor today. I think he really has to step up. He's been really playing tall. He had nine rebounds earlier in the season against FDU and he's been playing bigger than he is you know six six point guard but playing bigger than that i think that his defense is gonna be more of a factor and obviously his dime dropping abilities i think that's the major uh thing to look into this game but you know i would i would expect a Rutgers win against syracuse i think that Rutgers is the better team here they just have to penetrate through that zone Time for locks of the week here on the WRSU crew. Jake Schmid, Dylan Allen, and Gideon Fox getting you set here for the locks of the week. Dylan, you got a lock. You said I kind of I'm kind of know what direction you're gonna go here, but I I want to see if it's right. Where are you where are you headed with this?
1: Well, I was looking over the spreads this week for the NFL, and I was gonna go Saints minus seven over the Eagles just because Jalen Hurts is making his first start. But- right. But at the same time, you know, anything can happen with a rookie quarterback there. You know, I don't, listen, he scored, he scored points against Green Bay last week. And I just don't know how the Eagles defense and Taysom Hill, all that stuff. So my lock of the week is actually going to be Buffalo minus two and a half over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, it's simply because Buffalo's offense just looks really, really good this year. And Josh Allen, you know, coming off of a great, uh, great game last night against the 49ers. 375 yards and four touchdowns, no interceptions. His game has elevated over the past couple of years and the coaching for Buffalo, they they they've the offense that they that they've created there is just so it's just different from, you know, what we've seen the past couple of years. Um and I know the Steelers are 11 and 1, but I think they're a much I think they're a very flawed team. They can't run the ball to save their lives. They're they're, they're not even getting like more than 50 rushing yards a game. And that's a big issue. And Buffalo's defense is good enough to hold that receiving crew that they have there. And I could, I, I, listen, I think it's very easy that Buffalo wins this game by a field goal. Minus two and a half, I'll take that all day.
0: Yeah. Buffalo looked uh, very good on Monday night last night against the 49ers. That 10 point win, I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I'm also going to stick with the, uh, with the NFL in this one. I'm going to do Colts Raiders Colts at the Raiders. The Raiders barely they that last second play against the Jets. Uh, they beat the Jets and then the Jets fired their defensive coordinator uh, the next day uh, yesterday. But I'm going to keep it going with the Raiders. I think the Raiders plus seven against the Col- plus three against the Colts at home. The Raiders are really close to a wild card. They need this win. Um, they're very, very close. They're tied up there with the Dolphins as well for that wild card. The Colts barely beat the Texans. Um, They defeated them only by six. They lost to the Titans the week before that. Um, They lost the Ravens earlier and then the Browns. So I think that the Raiders have been playing well in this game. I take the Raiders on this one.
2: And I'm going to have to stick with the NFL as well. I'm going to say for tonight, tonight we have the Ravens against the Cowboys. And right now going into the game, the Ravens are the nine-point favorites. And I think that is a lock. Um, the Ravens have been struggling their past couple of weeks, and obviously they've been off for a while because of coronavirus within their, their team. Um, because they're nine-point favorites, I will consider that a lock. If it was any higher, I wouldn't be as comfortable with that just because so many of their star players have been out and diagnosed with coronavirus. They will be dressed and ready to go for tonight, but you just don't know how it's going to affect the guys like Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, stick with the backfield. Um, and I do expect the Cowboys to come out. You know, they play in the NFC East, so really anything could happen at this point, and they could still fight for a playoff spot. Um, just because that it's a there's only a nine-point spread, I will absolutely consider that a lock.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a, a good lock, but while we're on the subject of the NFL, you know, Gideon, you're a Giants fan, right? And yes, then, sir. obviously, me and Dylan, we're both Giants fans. So I want to talk about that game against Seattle, and they won 17-12. It was really a stunner in that game. Honestly, the score at halftime was five, nothing Dylan. It was that safety with 33 seconds left in the second quarter. They, they blocked the punt um, that was out of bounds. They ended it in the end zone for a safety. The Seahawks did against the giants. And I was, I was so confused. Five, nothing football score at halftime. That's that's unheard of, but the giants 14 unanswered points in the third quarter. And then they eventually pulled away. But the guy that got it done was Alfred Morris.
1: Yeah, Alfred Morris, two touchdowns on the day. He had both of them for the Giants, and I tell you what, the defense played a heck of a ball game. Uh Leonard Williams had two-and-a-half sacks yeah. on Russell Wilson, and those sacks came in very, very clutch because they would lose, like, 10-plus yards, and it would take them out of field goal range. You know, it would turn a third-and-five into a fourth-and-18. It was just a total... I was so pleasantly surprised on Sunday, sitting down watching my football team. I was going into it thinking we were going to get housed because yeah. Colt McCoy was playing QB and he hasn't won a football game since 2014. So I was just sitting there going, okay, hopefully we can, you know, keep it close. You know, see what happens. And uh, <laughs> and they won. So now they're 5-7, and seven, but it was a bummer yesterday when Washington beat Pittsburgh uh, because now they keep it close. And I was kind of counting on pittsburgh winning so we would have a whole game you know ahead of washington but to keep it on the giants uh defense played a heck of a ball game russell wilson and the seahawks just looked confused out there the O line for them played terrible and you know colt mccoy played the game manager role and did a good enough job and we got the win and now
0: on arizona and we are beating the cardinals i have faith yeah, you look at guys like Wayne Gallman, who've stepped up uh, since the injury of Saquon Barkley. Of course, Devontae Freeman, he's also been banged up. By, I think he's coming back in a couple of weeks. Uh, they picked him up, obviously, uh, off waivers because they needed somebody. Yeah, to he Saquon's should be coming out. back. He but, should be coming back. Yeah, but the big thing for me, Dylan, you know, Gallman, no touchdowns, but he had 135 yards, and he was averaging almost a first down every time, and he was the guy who was getting those. He kept just pushing forward with, like, two guys on his legs, and he was really— he was the guy who kept inching closer. He was that power back rolling. I'm really excited to see that we've only we've seen Gallman uh, here and there in the running game, uh, you know, backing up Saquon. But you know, maybe he's here to stay.
1: Yeah, and I think it's just going to be him and Gol- Barkley and Gallman. Um, as soon as Barkley becomes healthy again, I don't think Alfred Morris is going to see too much playing time if Barkley stays healthy and, and and Gallman in the coming years. But you're right, 135 yards only on 16 carries. Yeah. Um, you know, he had a 60-yard run, you know, which incorporates a lot of that yardage. So the average is, is high because of the 60-yard run. But at the same time, you're right. When we needed, when it was third and five or, you know, second and eight, he was able to pick up five, six yards and get it to third and one, third and two. And the line, I know the Seahawks' defense has been historically bad, but that's passing. Their run defense is not that bad.
0: Yeah, they're and like so, middle of the pack.
1: Yeah, they're, they're not a bad run defense. So to see... Our offensive line, which has been our Achilles' heel for like the past three years, oh, yeah. to finally see them get a push up front and for Gallman to go off, it was—it's it, encouraging to see as a Giants fan because I can see the future of this team and, you know, what it's going to be like,
2: uh, in the coming years. Absolutely, and Dylan, you mentioned that he had 135 yards. Well, Wayne Gallman had 135 yards. That's his career best, and that beats his career best of 94 that he set the week before. So that is absolutely an upwards trend. And you see when your franchise running back goes down early on in the year, this is the guy that, that, that steps up and has done a great job of that so far. And like we said, a lot of that yardage came from that 60-yard run. But still, even if he had 15 carries for 70 yards, he's averaging 4.6, 4.7 yards a carry. And that's still great for a team that does not have the best offensive line in the league, not even near that. So, just to have Wayne Gallman just push through and just keep going, you do get rewarded with these long runs. And that's what we need to keep seeing, you know, with Saquon down.
1: Yeah. And I want to mention, Jake, I, I mentioned the sacks for the Giants defense on Russell Wilson. I didn't realize this until just now. They had five sacks in total, but the yardage lost totaled up to 47. Really? Yeah. They, they, the, they wow. lost forty-seven yards due to sacks. Almost
0: half a football field. Wow. Yeah,
1: and that's what I mean. Like that was the difference of the game. You know, they, 100%. they it, would, it would take them out of field goal range. And if you think about it, that safety at the end of the half was actually kind of clutch for the Giants. Because, no, it was because it only gave them two points as opposed to us punting it to their like forty or our forty and giving them a good opportunity to, and good field goal and good uh, field position to go score even more points. So, I mean, it was kind of nice to see that. The defense was playing their, their tails off. But at 47 yards, that's a lot of yards, and that's that was the reason why the Seahawks lost this game. You know, those sacks, they start adding up, and, and all of a sudden your drives just keep coming to an end. You know, Colt McCoy took two sacks, but only for five yards. So that's, you know, that's nothing too major.
0: Yeah, that's the the big decider in that game. It was really a big defensive battle, and I really just like this. It's a steal that they got Leonard Williams because he has really just – he's really um, – for the monetary value and also just the fact that he's been stepping up big uh, for the Giants. You know, he had two and a half sacks. He mentioned two tackles. He had a sack against the Bengals. Uh, he had one against the Washington as well, and he's been playing very well, and he signed that franchise tag on back in April for a reason – He's a guy that's going to be there um, for a while, and he's a guy that's been really, you know, in full force. You know, he's he's been playing very well. We've seen Black, Blake Martinez um, playing um, as well. Tay Crowder got a sack, and he's a guy who's been pretty quiet, the linebacker, but, you know, he usually he's up there with the total tackles, but he's almost, he almost played like an edge rusher kind of role, and I think that that's the way you want to look at it. And, of course, uh, Darnay Holmes uh, with that interception – as well. And their defense just looks more energized and they, they've come alive. And I, they're like, they're easily one of the top. They're up there for defenses that, you know, Kyler Murray going against the giants defense on Sunday. That's going to be tough. Cause giants defense, you got James Bradbury. Who's going to be uh, who's been really playing well at the corner. He's going to have to go against Christian Ger- Kirk and Kirk's going to have a, uh, he's going to have a little bit of trouble against Bradbury. Yeah.
1: And even Jabril Peppers had a sack too. Um, I'm just and, and and they were able to force a fumble from Russell Wilson too um they they were able to force three fumbles they only they only got one the Giants they were able to force them right on Carlos Hyde and Tyler Lockett um it, it was just an all-out defensive performance and um I, I, I was just really excited to see our team go out there and to and to win that ball game and, and as a Giants fan you can just Sit back and imagine if we had if we had Saquon and even Odell still, you know, how this team Oh man what this team would look like. Um it, it's just one can dream, but
2: I, I think they have a good shot against Arizona. They've struggled the past couple weeks. Agreed, and I think the Giants faced their toughest quarterback so far last week and Russell Wilson, and as we mentioned, they absolutely handled that. They got the job done. And again, with Kyler Murray coming up next week, I think it's a great you know, the Giants are coming off a huge win and bringing that energy into another game with a really another tough quarterback I think is going to be really interesting to see if the defense could keep it up and hopefully ride out the year on top of that defense that just, you know, keeps producing. And then later on in the season, they have Lamar Jackson. So I'm pretty excited to see how this defensive unit could could fare against the younger guys in Kyler Murray um, and in Lamar Jackson. I think that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, definitely. You got the Cardinals in Week 14, and then You have the Browns after the Browns is going to be good because Baker Mayfield had a, had a really incredible game, uh, for the Browns last week. And of course, you're going to against Baker Mayfield, and that's a really top offense, Jarvis Landry as well. They destroyed the tight, they really beat the Titans in that game. They're nine and three, Cleveland, which I didn't think I'd be saying, uh, because you know, we know about the Browns and how they are. Uh, but you know, Baker Mayfield four touchdowns that game, 25 of 33. Ah, uh, Jarvis Landry had a touchdown. Donovan Peoples-Jones and Rashard Higgins, as well. And then Nick Chubb. That's going to be, I think, the next one of the you know overall offense the Giants are going to be facing. I'm looking at that Browns game. I think that's going to be a you know really see how far both teams have uh, have came. They've came up almost exactly almost the same way, except with the Giants, the Browns. They've been uh, dismal and in the basement for a long time now, but they're they're turning the corner. They they're going to make a making that push for that wild card. And the the Ravens too. The Ravens are slipping uh, slowly. If they don't beat Dallas tonight, their playoff could, uh, appearance could be in jeopardy.
1: Yeah, and you know to talk about Cleveland. That's uh, their main their main strength. Cleveland is the run game. They're the yep. best running team in football. And you know that's 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 what the Giants have to, That's what they have to stop primarily. I think we have a good enough secondary to stop Baker Mayfield and and Jarvis Landry. I mean, the Titans defense has just been bad all season. So, you know, you look at that game they scored 40 points, but the Titans defense has not looked good at all all year. They 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 really haven't played up to up to their standards, but the one thing the Giants have going for them, the Giants are ranked 4th in rush defense this year in the NFL. So, um you know, if I honestly think that if they can if they can stop the run against Cleveland having that fourth best run defense I again I think the Giants could win this game. I don't think Cleveland's defense other than Miles Garrett that might be the biggest issue for for the Giants. This game might be close, but the X factor might be Miles Garrett getting some kind of clutch sack like Leonard Williams did to Russell Wilson last week. That that might be the one issue the Giants have. If they can't get a handle on Miles Garrett then it's going to be very hard for us to score points. But if they can figure out a way to, you know, kind of just get him out of the play, I honestly think the Giants could beat Cleveland too. If they, that, but that's that's counting for them stopping the run against Cleveland, which we know is a tough task. But fourth ranked defense in the run, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good matchup against uh, two top running teams uh, defensively and offensively.
0: You look at the the NFL playoff picture right now, and the Vikings are. They're rising up. They're six and six, but they're hanging, clinging to that seventh spot, that wild card, that last wild card. And then you have the Cardinals right behind them. This is a big game for the Cardinals against the Giants. They absolutely need to win that if you're the Cardinals. Um, they're close. They're right there. Um, they're outside looking in. The Bears, even the Bears, too. It's going to be. The NFC is a little bit weaker than the AFC. Do you mean the AFC right now? The Raiders are outside looking in at that seven spot where the Colts are. The Dolphins are there as well, and then the Browns. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I think you know we talk about the Vikings too. Did, did you see that Vikings game? I
1: did watch it. That was a good game. That was
0: good. It, they won it in overtime. They uh, a game that they, uh, you know, they I don't even know how why that game was close. Because of the Panthers, we've seen the Panthers struggles. They're four and eight, but Minnesota—they had, you know, three plus giveaways in that win too. They—they um, they didn't look that all too impressive until they won in overtime, uh, to say the least. But you know, you look at that Vikings team. Kirk Cousins, thirty-four of forty-five, three hundred seven yards, three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook. The Panthers defense held him to no scores as well, but. You know, Justin Jefferson has been playing very well. Two touchdowns, seven catches for seventy yards as well. Um, you know, it's his first year out of LSU, and he's he's transitioned nicely to the NFL. And I thought
1: the Jaguars were gonna win that game, and it was gonna be a whole Trevor Lawrence fiasco. Oh, yeah. Because everyone thought the Jets were gonna win that Raiders game. Yeah. It's so everyone They were on
0: pace to win it.
1: Yeah, they were you know, at the time to- I think the Jets game finished after that Vikings game. So yeah. yeah. So everyone, everyone saw Jacksonville lose already. So everyone was like, "Oh, so the Jets are gonna win, and then Jacksonville and and the Jets are gonna be tied." And but you know, we all know what happened with the Jets. Um, but to to bring back a point, because I I am currently looking at the rushing yards per game for defenses, um, and I brought that up you know a second ago. Seattle's ranked fifth in rush defense, and Wayne Gallman ran for hundred and thirty-five yards, and you know Alfred Morris had forty of his own. So. To kind of go back to what we were talking about with the Giants, they they they've been running the heck out of the ball the past couple of weeks. That's really been what's, you know, scoring for them offensively. Being able to run the ball down the field and, and and Wayne Gallman has just been on a tear and and it's gonna be even I guess it's gonna be even harder for defenses now because we've incorporated Daniel Jones in this RPO offense that we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, he against that that run against Philly where he fell and everyone was laughing and but you know ninety yards or however far it was it was like eighty something yards and it, it, the RPO just fooled everybody. So the fact that you can get a run game like that with Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris, it's going to be even harder for defenses to play RPO defense now that you got a guy like Daniel Jones, um, being able to run himself and that's that's an issue the Giants might have against Arizona next week with Kyler Murray because that's that's all they do. That's what their offense does. If they can contain that to a certain degree, I think they could beat Arizona, though.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think Arizona's going to be one of those interesting teams uh, to look for. The Cardinals, everybody was saying, remember the beginning of the year, everyone's like, oh, Kyler Murray, he's going to win. You know, MVP, Russell Wilson, too. I, I I don't know if Kyler Murray or, you know, Russell Wilson could very well have a shot. Uh, he's still playing well, uh, except for the Giants game. He's He's been, you know, on the down low a little bit, but... You have to pick an MVP right now, who would it be from each conference? It's kind of hard right now.
1: Well, for the NFC, I mean MVP is everybody, right? Not just one yeah, conference. Yeah, it's everybody. Oh, yeah, but if I had to pick one, I guess from either or uh AFC, I'd have to give it to Mahomes. Yeah. And AFC and the NFC I'd have to give it to Rogers. I, I think they're both honestly, I think they're those are the only two candidates for MVP remaining, just him and Mahomes, Rodgers and Mahomes. Uh Yeah, I think so. So I think <clears throat> I think that's the only only answer there for you, but I mean Mahomes and Rodgers have been playing on a different level. I think Rodgers has like 34 touchdowns and four picks. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah, what
0: what a ratio. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: I think Mahomes Mahomes has a crazy stat line too in terms of his ratio. But. I think he's
0: around there too.
1: Yeah, they're pretty neck and neck. That's that's what I've. Uh, that's why I have them both there. They're pretty much. Yeah, he, he's similar. thirty-one
0: touchdowns to two picks this yeah. season. It's thirty-one scores. He's almost up to four thousand passing yards. So yeah, he's he's playing at an unreal level.
1: So yeah, if I had to choose between one of them, I think Mahomes has it. Um, but I, it's definitely Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers for me.
0: But he only has twenty picks in his career. 107 touchdowns, 20 picks uh, since playing since from 2017 on for three seasons, like three four seasons. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, that is incredible. And I think Aaron Rodgers, if you want to hear a more interesting stat for his career, I-, I think he only has. I think his interceptions are in the, in this in the double digits still in his career. Yeah, he only has 88 interceptions in his career. Wow. And it, like you said, Mahomes has 20 already. And it's his third year. Rodgers has been in the league for fifteen seasons, and he's only and he hasn't thrown a hundred yet. Wow. Uh, he's thrown four hundred touchdowns, eighty-eight picks in his career. I, I if you want to talk about ratios, I mean that's just ridiculous. So wow, yeah. Um, but Mahomes, thirty-one touchdowns, two picks. I think I think he's my front runner right now. But Aaron Rodgers is playing on a different level. He's thirty-six touchdowns, four picks, thirty-three hundred yards. And he's completing 69% of his passes. He's got a 118 QBR this year. So they're both playing really well. And it's definitely going to be a tough pick. But somebody's going to have to slow down. And then one's going to go up on the other. Because we saw that from Russell Wilson early on too. He got off to a quick start. I think he had like 10 touchdowns, no picks. Something stupid like that. But now he's got probably close to 30 touchdowns and like 12, 13 picks. So I mean... You know, it's definitely he, – he, Russell Wilson has definitely slowed down over the the last coming weeks, but, like, the first five or so weeks, he was on a different level.
2: I think if the – talking about the, the MVPs, I think if Aaron Donald from the Rams could step it up over the next few weeks, I'd put him in the conversation. I think it's hard to compare a defensive player to a quarterback, but just looking at Aaron Donald's stat line, he already has 11 sacks wow. um, on the season. Yeah, I mean, he had four against Washington earlier in October. But with 11 sacks, if you, you know, if he could step up a little bit more and be a little bit more consistent, maybe get a sack every game, every two games, um, which he's, you know, been doing pretty well so far, I really think he could be in contention too. But it's just so hard on the other side to argue against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he is just absolutely, you know, amazing to watch. He has that combination the Tyreek Hill is just lethal for defenses. So I think it's really just hard to argue for an overall MVP. It's hard to argue against Patrick Mahomes.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's going to be tough to see. You know, I think Aaron Donald, you know, you make an interesting case for Aaron Donald. You know, 11 sacks, he can get that, you know, 15 or even more close. To, if he gets over 20, I think that Aaron Donald has a legit shot at that. But we will step aside. <laughs> just talk. time for can we just, can we just talk here on the Tuesday crew Jake Schmid and Dylan Allen and Gideon Fox here and one thing I want to talk about here Dylan and Gideon we, we you know we learned about all the cancellations of the games and with COVID-19 and everything and Michigan had their game canceled against Ohio State that big rivalry that we're we've grown used to seeing um in this uh, game, in this, you know, every season is something to really look forward to. For the first time since 1917, actually, that'll be the last time they didn't play um, when World War I. Uh, there would not be no Michigan, Ohio State uh, because of the COVID-19 cases. Um, Michigan, their COVID cases continue to rise. Um, that's what they're been saying. Um, increased number of positive COVID cases. We saw Ohio State get hit with Ryan Day had it. Uh, and a couple of the other players um, that didn't play Maryland. That game was canceled a couple weeks ago. But they said Michigan's positive cases, they did not hit the Big Ten's red uh, threshold to force a shutdown, which is when the test positivity rate is over 5% and the population positivity rate is over 7.5%. But they said that the positive tests haven't slowed down and there's not really any reason that they could um, really just uh, play. What do you guys really make of this? Because also – Michigan, uh, there's you know in contract talks with Jim Harbaugh, there's that question mark of if he'll even return, and uh, now that those talks they have have uh, decreased because of uh, this outbreak.
1: Yeah, and you know I don't expect him to be back next year with Michigan because I've also been hearing that NFL teams are still interested in Harbaugh, so I expect him to move on um, and go into the NFL for whatever teams are interested in him, and I don't know why they are, but for whatever reason. I, I think that, you know, he'll probably choose the NFL path and just go back because that's where his success was when he first left, you know, and he came to Michigan. Um, but what's interesting about this is not even so much Michigan because they would have gotten their, they would have gotten the brakes beat off of them by Ohio State. They're, Michigan's garbage this year. They barely beat Rutgers in triple overtime. They're, they're terrible. Uh, they, they lost to Penn State by 10, and, um, they would have just they would have gotten blown out probably like 60 to 10 that that'd be my guess is something ohio state would have just just beat the crap out of them but uh what's interesting about this is apparently there's a rule in the big 10 uh that you have to play a, a certain amount of games like a minimum amount yeah to be eligible to play in the championship game and because of all the cancellations Ohio State has faced they haven't reached that number yet and i've been hearing that they're probably going to change that rule but as it stands right now Ohio State is not eligible to play in the in the east uh the eastern side of the Big 10 championship game so if they don't change this rule Ohio State is not eligible to play
0: yeah that's very uh interesting to see and here's the other th- you know it's really as we today they're unveiling the uh the top twenty, for, you know, that college football playoff, one of the early rankings for that. But now they're saying that Indiana football has also paused all team-related activities due to an increase in COVID nineteen, and the Purdue earlier today suspended practice because of that. And they're supposed to play against Purdue on Saturday, um, so that's going to be something interesting to see um, and really see progress. Um, they are open to revisiting the Big Ten six game minimum, as you mentioned, uh, Dylan, because they really want to get that championship eligibility for Ohio State because they are a top five team right now to make the playoffs. Um, they're two, um, so that would be big, you know, winning that Big Ten gets you in, and the big they've played in the championship be- the playoffs before. Obviously, they said they might be pushed back. Um, but, you know, Michigan's athletic director, they sound like they're in favor of changing the six-game rule for, to help Ohio State uh, qualify for the Big Ten title game. Because if Indiana can't play, then maybe they can't qualify. And we already know Northwestern is going to come out of the Big Ten West. And Indiana also, you know, I think, you know, they're one of those teams that has surprised a lot of people, too, a top 15 team also.
2: I think Indiana's been super exciting to watch this year. Although it's sad, you know, with Michael Penix out for the rest of the year, yeah. you know, who really knows if they have a deep shot at the playoffs now. Um, I always like, you know, like rooting for the underdog when they come in, but I just think Indiana's playoff hopes were really slashed when it came to losing their star quarterback. Um, but back to Michigan and the Ohio State game, and we talked about Jim Harbaugh, I really, you know, he hasn't Michigan hasn't beaten Ohio State since 2011 um, when they won by six points. And that's, you know, Jim Harbaugh has not been the coach for all of that time, but he has not done much to turn the Michigan football program around. He inherited a, a pretty good program, and it's just been a downward decline since then. So even if that game did play and Michigan did win for some crazy reason, I really think that wouldn't have changed anything and Dylan like you said, like Harbaugh's going to have to be looking for a job come next season.
0: Yeah, he is and I think that one of the things that's interesting to see is that, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously Ryan Day is urging the Big Ten to revisit that football championship requirement cuz he they want that he wants to get there. They want to uh go there as well. They are uh, right now as of now ineligible uh they're number 4 ineligible but the Big 10 said they're not expected to alter the schedule there was some rumors saying that you know maybe they move up uh you know move that like, give Rutgers a bye or something cuz they have played um they're on track to play the eight games their final eighth final game against Maryland before that Big 10 Champions Week on December you know 18th and 19th that weekend um but they're not going to multiple sources told Yahoo Sports that they're not going to uh move the games um because you're already Tuesday it's ready day 3 of prep for that cuz you have Sunday Monday Tuesday to prep for that week ahead Rutgers is practicing ahead of their final road game against Maryland which we'll talk about uh in a little bit but you're going to have a lot of you know teams are still playing and they've in the mindset to play so they're going to keep that up um as well you know Illinois is playing Northwestern uh, Purdue, Indiana, Wisconsin, Iowa, Purdue, Indiana, that might get, you know, who knows, that maybe could get canceled or something because that also could upset the, uh, the schedule because both teams pausing because of COVID-19 activities. I don't know if it's, you know, Purdue said it could be contract t- tracing purposes to make sure that they're a square, um, but you never know what's going to happen with that, and it is supposed to be Indiana if Ohio State can't play that game. Yeah,
1: I think they'll change the rule though, uh, though or or they'll find a the new opponent for Ohio State. I've also been seeing some things that they might play Texas A and M, uh, as a substitution game this upcoming week instead of Michigan. Uh, so it's it's all rumors and speculation and stuff like that. But you know, if they don't, if they decide not to change the rule, then they should definitely find Ohio State a different opponent because now this would be, I think this would be their second straight week where they haven't played an opponent. No, I'm sorry, they. It's funny because after they played Rutgers in week three, their game against Maryland was canceled. then they played Indiana and then after that their game against Illinois was canceled and then after that they played Michigan State and then obviously this week their game is canceled so it's you know it's like they're getting a bye week every every other week. Uh, so you know they definitely should not be it's definitely not their fault. That they had to cancel these games I think the, I think the reason why all those games were canceled was because of the opponent's programs yeah uh, they, was they had outbreaks themselves yeah, the,
0: yeah Maryland their coach uh, coach Loxley he had COVID-19 and over 20 players and five or so personnel staff they had it as well so that game was canceled for that reason but this game is on the Michigan end they're saying due to those COVID-19 cases so Ohio State Ryan Day's good like he's over it um, a lot of the players they're all over it they've Um, it's been over 14 days. They, so they, they, yeah, they are looking for an opponent, but Texas A&M, that could be, uh, that could be interesting. Texas A&M also up there right next to them in the ranking for that playoff spot too.
1: I still think they'd beat the, I still think they would beat them up pretty good though. I know Texas A&M is ranked high, but I think they're, I think they're ranked a little too high and Ohio state just, you know, Justin Fields, the whole offense, just so good this year. Um, but you know, it's definitely it's definitely not Ohio State's fault that all those games were canceled, and they definitely should find a new opponent or just change the rule because it definitely... It's not right for them to not be eligible for the championship game when they're 5-0 and and their games got canceled because of their opponents and their programs were getting um, COVID and stuff like that. But Rutgers football, who do they play next week? Maryland?
0: Yeah, they got Maryland. Well,
1: that's going to be a tough test because we all know our pass defense is not very good, and, you know... Tua, or Talia tungo Tua's younger brother, who's the quarterback at Michigan, looked, has looked pretty good this year. Uh, it, it's definitely going to be a tough test for Rutgers. And if I'm being honest, their, the Rutgers' defense as a whole really hasn't looked too good over the last couple of weeks. Just, I know, it, like, early on, we all were like, okay, the run defense is pretty good. The pass defense is just the issue. Uh, it's been a combination of both now ever since, like, week three or four. The run defense has just been giving up 160 rush yards per game. And that just can't happen. Um, it's going to be very tough since Maryland is an offensive team. We're definitely going to have to try and keep up offensively. Uh, I don't know how the matchup's going to go with this, uh, you know, us trying to use Langen in the rush game because it, it didn't work against Penn State. So I'm hoping hoping our guys, as Dave Gettleman says, the Hog Mollies, hopefully, hopefully they can get some push up front because that was the big issue against Penn State last week.